welcome everyone. As you know, we always have uh, EWAs on our show, and then we have shows which are thought leaders as well. Well, today we have a very special show because we have an EWA, one of our Exceptional Women Awardees, who is also a thought leader. Her name is Ina Hull, and she is the Chief Operating Officer of Legacy Education. She is also an expert on higher education, and Ina's going to talk to us about disruption in the higher education space. It's going to be an incredible show. You will learn a lot. I learn so much every time Ina opens her mouth. So please be with us for the whole show. You will enjoy it. I'm Lorraine Siegel. I'm the founder, chair, and CEO of the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation. I founded this group in order to enable high-level women to reach their dreams. I never had a mentor early in my career as a lawyer, then as a CEO of multiple companies, and even as a board director. I never had another woman I could look up to in order to lead me on my way. And I wanted to be sure that women who walk the road less traveled, as I do and Ina certainly has, would always have a sisterhood of women leaders around them to enable them to reach their dreams. And that's exactly what we do at the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation. And so I'm so excited to bring to you our EWA and thought leader, Ina Hall. Ina, welcome to our EWA LinkedIn Live. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And Ina, you have so much to teach us. I want to start, however, with your background, because this was not necessarily something that you had planned to become an expert in. Where did it all start? Well, that's a great question. So my career in higher education began as a college student. As I began the admissions process and enrolling in college, I was quickly recruited by the um, academics office at the community college that I was attending. And I had actually enrolled in school to become an orthodontist. And long story short, I was recruited to work within the academics department, then moved into the financial aid department. And then my career took off. So I spent 19 years in the California community college system, helping students uh, complete their programs and transfer onto four-year universities. I then did a five-year stint with the student loan industry, with Citibank Student Loans where when banks were involved in the higher education financing business at the time. So I did that for a period of time. And then I entered the career colleges space, which is where I am today in 2008 when the markets changed. So it has been a great uh, field to be in. I have enjoyed it helping families and students in both traditional education as well as career and training education. And that's where I am today with legacy education. That's amazing, Ina. And as a Latina, I think you have a special interest in the education space. What would you say to that? I do. So I am a first-generation college student. My grandparents were migrant farm, worker, farm workers in the Central Valley of California, and I am proud to have represented them and decided that I was going to go on and pursue a higher education degree, and that's exactly what I did. So I am in a uh, you know, an American dream, I, I represent what can be done through hard work, and that came through my parents and, and my grandparents along the way who taught me how to work hard along the way. So I've enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed helping other Latinas who have decided to go to school or pursue their dreams as well. And as an immigrant myself, I, I applaud you and admire what you've achieved. So, Ina, you know so much about the higher education space. Give us a little bit of education about what you found out and what your research has highlighted. Great. Well, I brought some slides with me today, so I'm going to present them. Great. 
There we go. So let's go to the first slide. Okay, here we go. So what I can tell you is that we are seeing a lot of disruption happening in higher ed. It's the last known market that hasn't been disrupted with everything that's happening between COVID and in the industries happening, but it's happening right now. We're beginning to see families um, enter and talk to their students and their children about non-academic programs uh, and credit markets, which include certificate programs and training certificates. We're beginning to see some market creep happening in from other companies that are taking on higher education and training within their own industries and building their own programs, including Google and Apple, and even uh, motivational speakers like Tony Robbins, who are now entering the space to at least provide some type of alternative education patterns. We're also seeing pressures on the actual demographics. And so the population that is available to go to college is shrinking. We've seen some um, demographics changing and the declining birth rates in the last several years. And so that is putting pressure on the number of students who are graduating. And then over the last couple of years, we're seeing now negative opinions about higher education, um, surrounding student loan debt, and the politics involved around that, as well as the regulatory environment um, on certain segments of higher education. So a lot of that is putting pressure uh, as to what families and students are seeing in that higher education space. Before you go to the slide, Ina, I want to remind our audience that you probably have 100 questions for Ina. I know I certainly do. Please put your questions into the chat. Let us know that you're there and that uh, we'll try and answer them. Go ahead, Ina. Absolutely. So in terms of the opinions of higher education, even this morning, a lot of conversation around student loan debt. That is the number one driver that we're seeing that is impacting decisions um, whether or not someone wants to go to college right now. And so the, the, the surveys that we're seeing coming from the Gallup surveys and others are showing that the opinions and the debt ratio surrounding higher education is beginning to trend for the first time ever in a negative, in a negative light. And that is surrounding today regarding the rising cost of higher education over the last you know, 15 to 20 years, especially when you look at the amount of tuition, the cost is more than doubled um, the, and it's moving eight times faster than what we've seen in terms of wage increases with inflation. And now for the first time ever, we have $1.75 trillion in student loan debt, um, debt that's sitting out there and it far exceeds the credit card and auto loan debt that families are experiencing. And unfortunately, we're seeing that the average student loan debt per student is $37,000 per person, and over 20% of our students now have over $100,000 in debt. So many students are now beginning to feel that the return on their investment just isn't there, and it's either positive or negative. And unfortunately, we're beginning to see that in the declines of enrollments that are happening. For a second, is the enrollment in generic schools or is it in the, the um, Ivy Leagues? Are they seeing that? Where is it? Is it the middle market? That's a great question. So we are seeing, even as of last week, the National Student Loan Clearinghouse has released data that indicates that the traditional institutions are down another 3.2% year over year for their fall enrollments. However, the non-traditional schools, the short-term programs where we're looking at certificates and really skills-based training, they're up about 4.5% year over year. 
So we're seeing families are looking at programs that have shorter terms and um, lesser cost. That, that is where they're actually looking at. And they're not as much interested as they were before in the longer traditional programs or four-year degrees. Interesting. Thank you. And why that is triggering that is the speed. And this is just a good example of what we've seen from 1991 today, where you can see at one point the equipment that we used to purchase to get our goods and services completed were multiple pieces of equipment. And now today that's been replaced by the iPhone. And this next generation, and this isn't any news or a surprise, but just to put it in perspective, families and students are beginning to question whether or not they should memorize uh, archaic topics when they can actually use their phone to get all the information they've ever needed. And so what they're saying is that they want skills-based training, they want hands-on training, they don't necessarily want to have to memorize certain topics that they may have already learned in school, in high school, whether it was English or, or history and other topics such as that. So speed is the key today and industry is looking at that as well. When we look at the speed at which, um, and I mentioned this earlier, is that there are a lot of companies and speed is a, a big driver in terms of gathering or capturing market share. And many of these companies over the last couple of years have decided that they no longer require a bachelor's degree for some of their entry level positions or even middle management positions. And these are some of the brands that you're beginning to see out there, especially in technology. Companies are questioning whether or not that an instructor who may have a degree, even the students are questioning this, that may have been 20 or 25 years ago, is that relevant for today? And who has access to the most up-to-date information that's going on in the marketplace? And some of these companies believe that they have it. In addition to that, so this is driving a lot of alternatives now to the college um, space and degrees. You're seeing programs such as a Discover Praxis, you're seeing Train Smart. Skill up. Micro credentials are a hot topic right now. So, families and students and folks who are trying to come back into the space or enter and get new training skills are looking at these different products and they're popping up every day and everywhere. And they're very valid options, including the companies that I listed earlier. So, back in the day, colleges and universities used to look at each other as competitors. They're no longer competitors. The competitors today to higher education is industry itself. So it's really, really important to look at programs that are partnering with, with companies that are out there and the things that they need. What is a micro-credential, Ina? A micro-credential is a, is a credential that you can receive in, in four to six weeks, where it's really condensed education, where it's full-time, where you will learn a particular skill set. And at the end of that, you get credentialized by passing a test that demonstrates that you now understand that skill set and you get a credential for that. So those little micro credentials add up and some students and families find that they only need one or two skill sets or they may have been practicing in a field and they want to go back and get a skill set and get credentialized to show that they now understand that new that new skill or that new um, space of technology. So you know, let's talk for a moment about medical assistance as opposed to uh, nurses, right? Nurses still need a bachelor's of nursing. Is that correct? Not necessarily. So there's there's a couple of levels of nursing. There is a vocational or practical nursing certificate that can usually be done between 11 and 13 months. That is a certificate program. And then it moves on to an associate degree of nursing for those who wish to go into registered nursing, which is 
also a, a higher level of registered nursing program. And then finally, the third level to that is the Bachelor of Science of Nursing. So we know that 80% of the registered nurses now are must have a BSN or a Bachelor's of Science of Nursing, but there is a pathway to do that. So there are bridge programs where if you have an associate's degree, you can go back and get your BSN through an alternative pathway, such as one of these programs. Amazing, amazing. So this could help alleviate the healthcare shortage in the hospital system. Absolutely, by going through. And we find that the career colleges and uh, the trade schools are now probably the largest producers of nurses and medical assistants and allied health field technicians that are out there in the space today. Amazing. So what are what is creating this shift? We know that the surveys are showing that families today, because of the economic conditions, whether or not that they are still struggling from the great um, 2008, uh, you know, the recession that took place, they're still struggling. They're looking for the shortest possible completion time to get through school with the highest possible employability for the most value for their money. Families today and students are really debt adverse. They're not interested in going into debt any longer they, the way they were before. So with that being said, they are looking at where can I go to work very quickly? How can I do it with the least amount of money? And if I'm looking at a program, the biggest competitive driver out there are some of these companies out there. So they may not necessarily be looking at a traditional college anymore when they can actually go and they can go get training through a company who's going to give them employment and do it debt free. So families are willing to go into debt, but it's got to be a very limited amount of debt and they have very little elasticity left in their pricing and the bandwidth because the incomes are not keeping up to the pace that the cost of tuition has been going for the last 10 years. And we may be looking at a trend that's going to be even more difficult and negative next year because of a potential uh, impending recession, which some believe is already here, but maybe won't be here till the middle of next year. So what are your thoughts on that? Proactively, what do institutions do? Absolutely. And, and traditionally, what we've seen in the past, whenever there has been a recession, there's been a rise in enrollments um, in the colleges or uh, career schools. We're not seeing that quite yet, even though there have been layoffs happening. That could happen. I know that the career colleges and many institutions are looking at their curriculum and what they can do to get ahead of it going into next year. But I would tell you that families that are researching this, if you are trying to determine where the best programs are and if you're looking to reskill or retrain, the allied health space is always a solid space to go into, whether it's nursing, medical assisting, ultrasound technicians, all of those are, are really good spaces to go into. But evaluating the cost and the amount of time it's going to take to get through that is going to be very, very important as well. So I know that some schools are doing well, some are not, um, and that really is based on the relevance of the program that they're going into and what's available and how quickly a student can enroll and start. So institutions that have multiple start dates or they have programs that start every month are more likely to gain market share versus a traditional semester-based programs where they only have a new start that happens every 18 to 20 weeks. Amazing. You know, um, you know, thank you for those slides. They were certainly very, very helpful. Uh, 
this is a whole new world of higher education. You know, when you would see ads on television for secretarial schools and things like that, people who were going to college and graduates would kind of look down their nose on it. That's not the case anymore because this is really filling a gap. And more importantly, it's getting people employment. So the, the credibility of what you call a career college, which is really not a college in the way that people think of a university, have really risen in people's estimation. Would you agree with that? I completely agree. And as we are seeing this next generation of students coming out, they have a very entrepreneurial spirit. They actually enjoy the trades. They want to kind of, um, you know, move it and, and shake it up a little bit by deploying technology. We're finding that a lot of students are looking at the whether it's an HVAC position and they're creating their own companies and deploying technology in that. And they love the freedom to do that. And they know that they can actually, you know, make some really, really good money. It's those, believe it or not, the trades areas actually pay very, very well, including the nurses. So to the extent that these families and the students are looking at how they can go to work quickly without going to debt, the career schools that are entering that space and have done it well, and they've been doing it for quite some time with their non-traditional methods are beginning to capture the market share. You know, you know, there's a joke that goes around that uh, that my plumber earns more than my surgeon does. It's not a joke anymore with the reimbursements from Medicare. That's exactly what's happened. And it, it, it dissuades people to go into into things that take 14 years to to graduate. I completely agree. And just, you know, all joking aside, I will tell you, if you've ever had an emergency situation at home and you had a pipe burst or a water situation, you cannot find a plumber fast enough and you're willing to pay whatever it takes to fix that crisis situation or an HVAC mechanic if your air conditioning ever goes out into the desert and it's 115 degrees outside, that is probably the most valuable person all of a sudden that you wanna have in front of you. And so those technicians do very, very well. And uh, our, our, this next generation is seeing that. And so, but they love actually using the technology to go with it. So using things on their iPhone and being able to schedule appointments or take payments from a non in that non-traditional using technology, those families and those students who are taking advantage of that are doing extremely well. Amazing. Well, we have a couple of questions that have come in, so let's get uh, one of them up here and uh, try and answer some of them. This is uh, Claudia from Washington, D.C. Well, this is great because Claudia was listening to what we were talking about with the career college. So what makes for a good career college as opposed to something that, and I know there have been some disreputable ones that have ripped off people's money. So how do you decide, Dina? It's all about outcomes. So the first thing I would tell a family or a student if you're evaluating an institution is take a look at their website. We all have to disclose the information about our placement rates. Our institutions are accredited differently from, from um, the traditional for your institution because of the accrediting accreditation. And one of the first things I always check as well is the cohort default rates. If an institution has a very low cohort default rate, that means they have happy students and happy students are willing to pay their student loan debt. And if you've educated them in the field for what you said that you were going to and you've trained them and they are now working in that space, they will more than they are more than willing to make their student loan payment because they received what they thought they were going to, to get in terms of their education and their academic quality. So outcomes 
are really important. So look at the placement rates and find out where are those graduates working and how are they doing. Very good. So it's the cohort default rate, which is very interesting. I love that. Uh, okay, let's get the next uh, question up. Uh, we had this one already from Claudia Jean now from Oakland, California. What are the hot job markets right now? I think you've mentioned healthcare, but are there others? So healthcare, we're also seeing uh, there. It, technology still has a, a, a play out there in terms of coding and coders. I know there's a lot of technology providers out there that are struggling to find really good programmers. So anyone who builds an app or has, you know, many of us use um, software along the way. So coding and developers, I know a lot of companies still have to go outside of the country to find those those developers, but that is still a really hot market outside of allied health and the trades. So, uh, you know, before we bring up the next question, I, I do want to ask you about the student loan debt because it's so much going on in the papers and Wall Street Journal today. Um, I think a court uh, allowed it, then another court disallowed it. So what's going on with that? Well, there has been a lot of chatter about a student loan forgiveness program. And I think even today in the headlines, although there was a, pro a proposal put out there to either forgive or wipe out $20,000, up to $20,000 in student loan debt, I think ultimately, one, it's a regulatory requirement. It's not something that you can arbitrarily just, you know, um, say that it can be waived. So um, when I saw these proposals coming out and the movement in that direction, I knew that there would probably be some stalls because of that. But there is a fairness and an equity issue for the families who've already paid off their student loan debt versus those who are asking to have that debt waived. I think there are plenty of companies and opportunities out there. Companies are also offering incentives to work for them and they will assist with that student loan debt as well as opportunities to do public service arrangements to get that debt waived or forgiven through public serv service um, arrangements. So rather than going down that road of just saying, we're gonna wipe out this amount of debt, let's create an, an exchange and take advantage of, uh, this is my opinion that we take advantage of some of the public service arrangements where you can go out and do volunteer work and get something in exchange for that debt if we're going to give any type of forgiveness. But there is a lot of changes moving quickly and it even happened today that that initiative has, that initiative has stalled as of right now. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love what you're saying because I think that having an exchange of value is what America's all about. And I think that that, for those people who have paid off their debt slowly and laboriously and with great personal sacrifice, uh, just wiping out someone else's debt, I'm sure sticks in their throat, just the thought of it. Let's get up the next question uh, for Ina. Thema from Los Angeles, what advice would you give a younger adult contemplating a career path? I'm sure many parents are thinking about that today. That is a great question. There was a time that I used to tell students, well, just go to the community college and take some of your general ed requirements and figure it out. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that nowadays, especially if you don't want to take on any more debt. If a young person doesn't know what they want to do, I would say go to work. Even working in a grocery store or in a restaurant um, and figure it out. There are good skill sets that you will understand and there is a maturity process that takes place. So. I highly recommend that a young person who doesn't know exactly what they want to do yet, they may want to figure it out while they're earning some income and figuring out what it, 
what it may look like being a team player. There are still plenty of opportunities in the service industry. I mean, we've all experienced customer service issues. So in the meantime, you know, I would say learn some of those team building skills, what it takes to organize or multitask. And then once you've curated what you believe in your mind that you like and what you don't like, because sometimes doing work that you don't like helps you figure out what you want to do with your life. So going to work is not a bad option in, in between and taking a gap year and taking advantage of time off before you go into school. No, you know, I love that. Maybe you should run for office. You know, I just, I love the way you're talking. It's, uh, it's, it's so sensible and obvious, and yet none of us tend to think about that first. It makes perfect sense. Okay, who's the next question? We have one more. Alfredo from San Antonio. What advice do you give someone who has been laid off or is about to be laid off? I'm sure a lot of people are fearing that right now. What do you say, Ina? So if there is a fear, it's never too late to skill up. And even looking and taking even these micro-credential courses, there are courses, even Amazon today has online courses that you can take for $49 a month. It's amazing what's sitting out there on YouTube and Google. But in the event that you are laid off, I just want to let you know that the financial aid programs are still available to students and families out there. And although you may or may not want to go into debt, take a look at a program or an institution that's offering a retraining or reskilling program. Even if it's not a, a long-term program, you want to take a look at maybe a path where it's going to help you find new employment if you want to change what, what career field you're in today and to go into something else. But there are all kinds of self-assessments. I would also advise families or, or students to take a look at, you know, do a personality test or a DISC profile. Those are really, really good to understand what you like and what you're going to thrive because and thrive in because ultimately you want to do what's happening. And if you do things that you know what you've found that is your sweet spot, then take advantage of that and mirror that that sweet spot with a good program at a, a training facility. That's wonderful advice, Ina. So what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in higher education? New opportunities, new ventures? I know that you're working on lots of exciting stuff. Well, I will tell you some of the areas that we're excited to looking at, and we've had this discussion, uh, is are the alternative pathways. And uh, although that the financial aid programs are great for students and families, when you are participating in the federal financial aid programs or accreditation, unfortunately, you cannot pivot as quickly because you do have to get regulatory approvals if you make curriculum changes. So looking at programs that sit outside of that or courses or skill sets that we can offer to student and families that they can pay as they go at a very affordable price point is something that we want to look at and partnering with industry because industry really doesn't or the marketplace doesn't really want to go into education they want to be able to produce their products so where we can partner with companies find out what they're looking for and retrain their workforce or new employees that they're hiring that is the place that I believe that we will be able to thrive and do extremely well is looking at an alternative pathway and capture some of that market share. Uh, now, as COO of Legacy Education, what's your mission in that company? To provide a quality education to our students that leads them to employment. That is one of the, the, the missions and the passion that our CEO has within the company. She founded it 12 years ago. And we are here and we have some of the best outcomes um, and the numbers in the industry. And we're very proud of the work that we're doing. 
We have one of the lowest cohort default rates out there. Um, it's less than 3% and it continues to go down. And that's because we are doing what we say we're going to do. It's not always easy because the industry is changing, but we're very proud of the work that we're doing in producing nurses and ultrasound technicians and, and, and medical assistants and our employees. And ultimately our employers that hire our students are our customer. Our students are the product. So if we take care of the employers, they're gonna to continue to hire our students. And we're very proud of the work that we're doing in that area. It's amazing, it really is, and it's filling such a need. So, Ina, we have just at the EWA asked you to become our CFO, and you are an amazing leader. Um, and just tell me a little bit about your leadership style and how did you develop it? So, I, my leadership style has really been, initially when I was young and climbing up the career ladder, is studying and really finding a mentor. Um, I found that getting a mentor early on really helped me define my career and toughened me up and gave me the tough love that I needed to really look at within myself. And I had some great mentors in my early career and they were all men and they were great mentors. But I have found that as I matured and I became a, a female leader and an executive, I was very lonely climbing up at the top. And so as I progressed along the way, um, this is why I find that an organization like EWA really helped me is now being around other female executives who've gone through that path and getting a mentor that can reflect with me and give me some really good direct feedback has helped shape me into the leader that I am today. Wow. Well, you know, we have to stop on that because I, there's nothing better than that. Thank you so much for that. But more than that, thank you so much for being on our show. And for those in our audience who didn't have your questions answered, please post them in LinkedIn or on uh, whatever streaming platform you're using. And hopefully Ina will answer them. Ina, thank you so much. Lovely having you with us. Thank you. Okay, so um, I'm always sad to say goodbye because Ina teaches us so much and she's so brilliant and we'll have her back on another show. But of course, this is not the only show and we have other shows coming up. But before we do that, I want to leave you with my question for the day, very relevant to what we've been speaking about. And that is, do you think that an undergraduate or a graduate education is worth the money? Please do send your uh, answer to my email, which is on the screen. and. We'll try and get Ina's comments on it if you wish as well. Well, our next show, which is coming up, is another very exciting show. We have a thought leader who is joining us, and she is an expert in the food industry. Her name is Laurie Demerit, and she is the CEO of the Hartman Group and the owner of that company. And she's going to explain changes in the food industry. As you well know, during COVID, we ate in different places, we bought our food differently, we actually ordered different kinds of food. Everything changed in that time period. And of course, Generation Z is changing it even more. So Laurie will give us some of the stats on that. She has lots of research, which she has done, and she will share that with us. So please join us on that show. I know you will learn a lot. I certainly look forward to it. In addition, we want you to go to our YouTube channel and register there and of course like it and share uh, everything that you see on LinkedIn from us. And also we will become a podcast on Apple, Spotify and Amazon Music for the show that you've just seen. I do hope that you join us for our next show. Thank you so much.